we feel that burden to get the gospel to the people who do not have it. So the gospel has to translate somewhere. There has to be some implications of the gospel here as we gather to now get it to those who don't have it. Yes, it starts here locally, but it must go globally. And we have a responsibility to do that. One way that you can start to have an awareness, a global awareness on these areas and how we can educate our children uh, to develop a burden and a need is to attend the secret church. And it is a way that it's going to give you a, it's about four or five hour induction into the world religions, including both study and prayer. So please join us. We're looking forward to gathering during those times. Please take your scriptures and open up to Romans 5. Most of us hear the gospel like this. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. And if you simply believe that, you are saved. Is that true? Yes. Yes. If we, if we just simply believe that, it's true. But what, what we sometimes don't understand is that there is such a depth to the gospel that we don't fully understand all the implications of what Christ achieved, what he, what he won for us. And there are people, there are even Christian people, who wonder when they stand before the Creator of the entire world what the verdict of the judge on that day will be. And we wonder, when we finally stand before God our Creator, our Judge, what will His verdict be? Because we can't pull out of our pocket sort of this statement written saying, Steve Hafler has been pardoned. He has the very righteousness of my Son. But in a sense, we do have that, don't we? We have that in God's Word. Let me give an illustration that many of us will be able to relate with. Uh, some, some parents in here sit with their young, young men around the dinner table. And for years, there has, there has been this law uh, imposed upon these young men. I'm picking on the boys this morning. just wouldn't be an appropriate illustration to do otherwise. Um, and they chew with their mouth open. I mean, the whole first phase of digestion is on for the world to see, right? And, and they're clueless to it. They're just enjoying that food, right? And in almost every meal, one of the parents says what? Sweetheart, you need to chew with your mouth closed. It's a parental law. By the way, it's a good law. The law is good. And sure enough, a few bites later, honestly, it's not even that many. I don't speak from experience. This is all theoretical. Um, sweetheart, you need to close your mouth, right? We even have hand motions. Now. We're like, okay. And, and they don't, because I know tonight when we gather around our dinner table, probably, most likely, someone is going to chew with their mouth open. I want you to remember that. The table law 
the effectiveness of the law, even though it's good. If you are saved this morning, if you are a believer, I'm going to give you an incredible gospel truth. You are holy. God's word says you are sanctified, you are a saint, and you are holy. But there's, there's something else going on, and that is that you are becoming holy. We pray for the, the completion of this sanctification. And one of the great things about being born again and then God giving to us his spirit, his spirit at that moment comes and lives within us. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is together with that and all the, the blessings that, that come along with that. One of those is an increased sensitivity to sin. And how we deal with that sin is what the scriptures primarily call sanctification. How through this struggle, through this defeat, through this anxiety, through this darkness, through this anger, how do I respond now to the spirit who is living within me? Because I am a saint, but I think we all know we don't always live in line with our status. Being and becoming holy. Now, sanctification takes place at three different places in a believer's life. First of all, it takes place positionally. So when you believed, positionally you were set apart. You were a holy one. It takes place progressively. So from the moment of regeneration, from the moment of conversion and justification, now as we live this life, as we walk through this life, it takes place progressively. And then it will take place, we might say, perfectedly when we die or when we see the Lord. And that we also call then glorification. Glorification, if you want to think about it this way, is perfect sanctification. This is referred to often by these, this phrase, already, not yet. So are you already a holy one? Well, Scripture in Hebrews says you are sanctified. The Scripture calls the Corinthians saints. But you're not yet completely sanctified in the sense that there is this progression. And the New Testament speaks about our holiness in both ways. In Philippians, or in uh, 1 Corinthians... Look at what it says about this church. Now, most of you know something about this church. They were not the exemplary church. They had strife. They had contention. There was jealousy. They had personality cults. And Paul goes and he, and he addresses these believers. But look at how he starts the letter. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those, what's the next word? Sanctified. Called to be what? Saints. Sanctified and saints have the same root word for holiness. Holy and holy ones. But look at what he says in chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, even though they had the Spirit, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. When it comes to our progression Paul writes it this way in Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Because we need to think of it this way. At conversion, we are sanctified positionally. It's a definitive. 
sanctification. And that comes in Christ, by grace, through faith. At glorification, we are sanctified perfectedly. It comes to a completion. And that happens in Christ, by grace, through faith. When it comes to our progression from the moment of our trusting Christ for the forgiveness of our sin until we are perfectedly sanctified, how does that happen? In Christ, by, through, and we want to say works <laughs> because we know the experience of failing so often. But it's also by faith. But it's this living out of the progressive sanctification where your faith will be seen through your obedience. And that too is in Christ, by grace, through faith. Look what Peter says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our obeying is rooted in our believing. Listen to what First John 5 says. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our Faith, our belief. I've had you turn to Romans 5. This is what we're going to look at quickly. Big, big ideas, big snapshots for us to be able to get through Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7. In Romans 5, Paul is going to make this argument that where once Adam represented us, in Christ, he no longer represents us. Another represents us. As a matter of fact, we, we have changed domains. We have changed realms. Paul's going to say it this way in Colossians. He has, he has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his own son. Romans 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Now that term justification we need to understand. It is, it is you enter into the courtroom and it is a legal declaration from the Father that something has happened to you. Okay, the, the, the context is legal. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... You can just put that on the side of wrath. We were reconciled. Now, that's, that's not a legal context. That's a relational context. Okay, so there's these, this legal context of being declared as righteous as Jesus Christ. And there is this relational context where you have been brought back into a peaceful relationship with God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here's who used to represent you. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
and death through sin. And you say, well, that's not fair. No, Romans is going to make very clear that yes, you die because your identity is with Adam, but you also die for your own sin. And God is fair and He is just. And that's why people fear at the end of the day, what is the verdict of this just judge going to give? Just as sin came to the world through one man and death through sins, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I want you to notice this truth. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Here's the point of Romans 5. Here's the, what we call the big idea. Adam, whose sin brought death to all humanity, no longer represents believers. You have somebody else representing you. a matter of fact, the, the term in Christ or Christ in you is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And that's very important because you have somebody else now who represents you. And it's not Adam. It is Christ. And Christ's righteousness, his death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, win for all those who belong to Him eternal life. Now, towards the end of Romans 5, verse 20, and you can just kind of stack up the sides. And I'm going to ask you, okay, I want you to look at this. Who represents you? You say, well, I, I really hope the one on the right. Okay, How do you access it? How does Romans 5 say that you access that identity? By what? By works, right? That would be incredibly fearful if just this week I had to access it by my works. It's not by works. It is by faith, Christ died, and it is an access by faith. And you are transferred into a, an entirely different realm through one man's obedience, one man's righteousness, not your righteousness, not any single righteous act that you have done or even a compilation of righteous acts that you have done, but through one man's obedience and look at the free gift of grace on that right side. So towards the end of this chapter, if you look with me at verse 20, Paul's going to say this, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so what realm do you live in? Okay, if you are in Christ... If you have accessed that by simple faith, look at where you live. Life and grace reign. Now that brings us to Romans 6, 7, and 8. We're going to look at Romans 6 and 7 in the next 15 minutes. And we're going to look at Romans 8 next Sunday morning before we observe the Lord's Supper. 
What we have in these three chapters is the New Testament's thorough explanation of applying gospel truth to progressive sanctification. These are the primary chapters. That's why we're spending so much time here. Okay, I want you to look at Romans chapter 6. And here's the question. Matter of fact, Romans 6, for us to understand it, the fault lines of Romans 6 uh, are two questions. And both questions are being asked as far as what is your relationship to sin? See, so this is very relevant for each of us this morning. Because there is still this ongoing relationship, at least with sins. And now Paul is going to talk to believers in Romans 6.1, and he's going to say... What shall we say then? Okay, what shall we say to what? Okay, tra- track with his logic. Track with, track with Paul's writing. What shall we say to what? Well, what shall we say to the incredible truths we just considered in Romans 5? And even when a believer sins, grace overabounds. So what do we say to that? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound now think of the responses paul could have given paul could have said no no we shouldn't continue in sin because that would be wrong he could have said that matter of fact the new testament does say that but he doesn't answer that here he could have said no that's against god's law and he could have said that too but he doesn't he could have said no there are consequences you may choose your sin but you cannot choose your consequences you're going to have to deal with it and he could have said that too because all of these are new testament truths but he doesn't say that i want you to look at verse three paul responds this way well he says god forbid do you not know see a lot of christians don't know this truth Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, he doesn't start with law truth or consequence truth or church discipline truth. He starts with gospel truth. And the gospel truth is this. You are in union with someone. You are in him. You are represented through that close relationship where Adam no longer represents you. Jesus Christ does. Look at verse 4. But we, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I want you to get this. I want our young people to understand this. There can be no newness of life without death. So either Adam represents you or Christ does. If Christ represents you, even the sins you have committed this week, grace has overabounded. So what shall we say? Do we keep sinning so that grace can keep overabounding? God forbid. How shall we that are what? How shall we that are dead to sin, to the realm of sin, to the power of sin, to the slavery of sin, how shall we that are dead live choose to live in that realm any longer we know verse 6 we know that our old self was crucified with him 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, look at that next word, enslaved to sin. And folks, when you are in slavery to something, you need someone to liberate you. When you are enslaved, you need freedom. It's exactly what Romans 6 is teaching. It's teaching this. When your relationship to God changes, your relationship to sin also changes. Look at verse 11. I mean, because really the question is, how does this affect our sanctification? Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin. This is the idea of worship. This is the idea of bringing an offering. So it's possible to do this, Paul says, if you you need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, God doesn't say that this is only a possibility. He doesn't say that this is even something that only a few attain, some, some higher level of holiness. He communicates this as an absolute effect. If you are in union with Christ, these things are true of you. You are dead to what? The realm of sin and you are alive to who? And He has caused that death through His Son so that He could give to you, so He could gift to you newness of life. I want you to notice the the two questions. Go back to verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Everything from verse 2 to 14 is Paul's answer to that question. I want you to look at the second question. Look at verse 15. What then... I mean, what should our response be to the answer to the first question? Second question, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Everything in verses 16 to 23 is Paul's answer to that question. If you just look at those two questions and understand the answers to each question, you'll understand Romans chapter 6. And what Paul is answering for you is what now is your relationship with sin? You want the chapter that speaks more about sin? Than any other chapter in the scripture, it's Romans chapter 6, as far as your relationship to sin. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 1 through 5, Paul only uses the term sin nine times. In chapters 6, 7, and 8, he refers to sin 35 times. After those three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, he's only ever going to refer to sin once more. That's why Romans 8 is going to be so important. Because you have this incredible domain transfer and a true miraculous event that changes our relationship with sin. Here's the truth that we have to get this morning. Sin will have no dominion over you, over believers in Christ. Do you know why? We use the term saved a lot because you have been saved from the kingdom of darkness. And you have been transferred through union, accessed by faith 
to the kingdom of his son. Newness of life. You say, yeah, but I still sin. Yeah, but you don't have to be enslaved to it. You don't have to live in the kingdom of it. You don't have somebody checking on your cell every night, do you? You have been set free and you are no longer a slave to sin. Now, I have to understand something in some of these verses. There, there's, there's the old self. There is the old man. And there is the flesh. And there is the body of sin. And sometimes we, we get these, these concepts um, confused. So we're living in the new realm and we say, oh yeah, that, that was my old man peeking back up. Okay, let me just read to you quickly. Ephesians 4.22, Paul says, when the gospel was preached, you were taught to put off the old man. Colossians 3.9, Paul says, when you came to Christ, you put off the old man. Romans 6 says, the old man is crucified, it's dead. Does that sound like the nature does that sound like the sinful nature that we still struggle with? I mean, is your nature completely dead? No, so there's also this body of sin and there is also this flesh. In Romans 7, we're going to find out the flesh is alive. It's not well, but it's alive. And we know that, don't we? We already know that this morning. Especially on a Sunday morning, we know that the flesh is alive. So the flesh is almost this personality within us where the old man has been crucified. There's still something we battle with. You know, welcome to progressive sanctification. The old man is the person I once was before I came to Christ. I am now in Christ. I am represented by another. Look at Romans 6.22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, perfect sanctification, eternal life. Look at these verses. Here is God's desire for us that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Sin will have no dominion over you. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, so you are, here's, here's the truth that's uncomfortable to some people. You are a slave to someone this morning. You are either a slave to sin and wrath and you're an enemy and it's death, or you're a slave to God. Remember what Jesus said, I no longer call you what? Servants. But what? Friends. That's, that's what life under the master of God looks like. Friendship. One of peace. And this is the difference. Sin's reign or God's reign. Now, sin will have no dominion over you. So what does being under the law have to do with not being dominated by sin? Look at Romans chapter 7. Paul's thesis for Romans 7 is found in two verses. Look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Okay, numbers, look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Now, most of us are familiar with the illustration he gives at the beginning of chapter 7 with this marriage, right? And you are bound 
to this marriage partner until one legally dies. Then you are released. Let me ask you, is it the law that died? Did the law die? Okay, this morning, the law says, Thou shalt not steal. Is that dead? No, so, so then what does it mean that you died to the law? And what does it have to do with us no longer being under sin anymore? Look at verse 4. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So who is that? Who's been raised from the dead? Okay, Christ. So here you are and you're married to who? Not your real spouse, but Romans 7, you're married to the law. By the way, it's a terrible marriage. Because the law is inflexible. The law is impersonal. The law lacks compassion. I tried this once. It was a posted 55 mile an hour highway. It was out by an old DuPont factory. I had taken the road hundreds of times. And I always knew if I got behind an 18-wheeler going up the hill that you could be there for a very long time because of the visibility. So I knew this one little stretch where I had to pass this 18-wheeler. The problem was this 18-wheeler was already doing 55. So I pressed it down and got close to three digits. And I mean, it was a great downhill. And as soon as I got over, I passed another car coming this way, and he had lights on the top. I already had 12 points on my license at that point. And I knew I just, I, just, I just slowed down. I didn't try to outrun him. I was coming back from church. Put my Bible up on the little dashboard. And I'm going to tell you, the law is inflexible. Mr. Hafler, no, you don't correct him for the name at that point. Why are you in such a hurry? Right? Now, I've heard people get caught for doing one mile an hour over. And they complain. Well, everybody else was going faster, right? I mean, it was only one. I mean, typically you get four, four miles an hour over. But do you know what? The law is what? Impersonal. The law does not care. It's the law. You know you have died to that? The impersonal, rigid condemnation of the law. No, no, not laws. The New Testament is filled with laws. The New Testament is filled with Old Testament law that we still have to relate to, but you died to the law. You no longer have to relate to God just through law, which is impersonal. As a matter of fact, you say... Ah, I only sinned once, and the law says if you have sinned one area, you've committed an offense in the whole thing. Give me mercy. The law says you are condemned to die. The wages of sin is... Sin is the transgression of the law. But it was just one thought. Condemnation. But... It was Adam, you're guilty. See how the, the law is inflexible. But there is one who is not. He is a good shepherd. 
He is a high priest. He is a mediator. He fulfilled the law for you. It's not that the law died. Chapter 7, verse 4, you died to it. Paul uses that expression 11 times in his writings. Um, Galatians uses the most. Let me just read these. As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Do you want to appeal to the law? The law is going to say you're cursed. Galatians 3.22, to be under the law is to be under sin. Under the law. When you're under the law, you're also under a curse. When you're under the law, you're also under sin. Lady Justice is purposefully pictured as holding up a scale, and she is what? What's over her eyes? Theoretically, this is supposed to represent our justice system. And we all know too well that it often doesn't. But God's law is blind. And sin is the transgression of the law. And the wages of sin is death. You want to appeal to that? You're condemned. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Let me read you what Colossians says. This is Paul. He's going to pick up the same idea of union with Christ. In a few weeks, we're going to look at this text together. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings, the law. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the what? Flesh. He's going to return to that union with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have what? See, Romans 6, you've died to sin. Romans 7, you have died to the law. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are hidden over here, represented by a new man. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under what? Grace. So shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? And this is the point. Look at verse 7. Because we're not against law. We're not the position of antinomians. What, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? What does Paul say? I mean, is the law sin? By no means. The law still has a purpose. Matter of fact, First Timothy, Paul's going to say, we know the law is good if it's used lawfully. So if there's not anything wrong with the law, then why do I need to be free from it as a dominating power in my life? That's what he answers in verses 14 to 25. And the reason you need to be freed from the law, I want you to hear this, is because there is something desperately wrong with, not the law, but with your heart. And in order for you to be freed, 
in this marriage, you have to die. And you access that by faith in Christ's death. And then you die, because Christ died, to sin and the law, so that you are raised to newness of life and can be married to another. And who is that? The one who has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Verse 25. With my flesh I serve the law of sin. Uh, chapter 8, 7 to 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, getting a hold of these truths has everything to do with sanctification. It has everything to do with living a restful joyful, even happy life. Because it's possible for a believer to be in Christ and creep back over here and live under the law. I'm not talking standards. I'm not talking obeying God's law with that right relationship. But, but they, are re- they are still relating to God through the law. And so Paul cries out in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Christ did. I get to relate to God through Christ now, not through death, through life, not through the realm of sin, but through the realm of his son. Your relationship to Christ must replace your relationship to the law. Now, go back to our our illustration, and this will be in conclusion. For some of you young men who chew with your mouth open, and no matter how many times the table law is given by mom or dad, you will still chew with your mouth open. As a matter of fact, the law, once you reach like 12, 13, the law actually frustrates you. Okay. Your breaking of the law frustrates us. The actual, the actual commandment frustrates you. Right? Close your mouth. Right? So we just... Almost, it exacerbates it is the idea. It makes it worse. That's what the law does. But some of you are going to meet a young lady. And she's going to transform your life. And some of you are immediately going to stop chewing with your mouth open. Because it's a new relationship. And if you don't, right? About the, about the seventh day, when there's a culture of safety, she's going to say something to you, and that's going to settle it. Why? Because you what? You, you love this young lady. You want to capture her heart and marry her. And that, that, every illustration breaks down, I understand that. But what the law for a decade could not do, a new relationship did do. Do you know that's how you relate to God now? Yeah, there are laws in the New Testament. But, but we're not relating to God through laws. We're relating to God through a new relationship. Here's what we need to do this morning. We need to learn to delight in God. Not delight in just religion, but delight in a person. Holiness progresses by a relationship with the lover of our soul. So I set my minds on things above. I set my affection on things above. Sanctification is based on liberation. 
Godliness is based on freedom. Sin will not have dominion over you. You're not going to live back over here. So don't keep sinning. Live over here. Walk in newness of life. We need to know the Lord better, to delight in Him, to desire Him, to rejoice in this new marriage with Him, to live in the light of His love for us, to delight in our union, our marriage as the bride of Christ. Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ. Romans 7, married to Christ. Romans 6, delivered from sin into Christ. Union with Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. And folks... God desires us to know Him. And so the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that will release the continuing presence of sin in your life.